Good morning, everybody. Up here on in Great North Road and on Zoom. So yes, Palm Sunday. It would be fitting, I guess, to talk about Palm Sunday today. But um, but Matthew's done such a brilliant job of already giving uh, an amazing summary of Palm Sunday in the E News. So if you haven't seen that, um, or if you haven't subscribed to that, um, I would recommend it. It's a big moment in Jesus' ministry, Palm Sunday, and all four of the gospel writers document it, which is a sign that it's important. Um, But I want to look at another moment in Jesus' ministry, which, again, is also captured by all four of the evangelists. They thought that it was so significant that we ought to remember it. (laughs) But it isn't just a a good bit of church history, like Rachel was saying. It's not just a thing to squirrel away in our minds, a little bit of interesting historical data. But it's actually a, like we've been stressing throughout this whole series, it's an invitation to um, dialogue with Jesus, to enter into the conversation with him that is still a living conversation. So the the story that I'm going to be looking at is the story of the woman anointing Jesus with oil before his his, um, crucifixion. And uh, it may be a familiar story to many of us. I find that being that it's in all four Gospels, sometimes we do this thing where we smush them all together, we smush all the various versions together. And actually each Gospel tells the story very differently, with very different emphases and different, um, I think, different theological points that they're trying to make. So we're going to be with Mark today, listening to his emphasis, um, which I think they, they say that Mark is the first gospel that was written and there's a certain rawness to it, there's a certain um, unvarnished nature to the stories, so that's where we're going to be this morning. So yes, Lord, would you open our hearts and minds, um, would, you, would you give us ears to hear as we read your word um, and as we encounter you again whether in our homes or whether here together. Amen. So I'm just going to read the story just to familiarize ourselves with it. Um, So you could read with me if you want to. I don't have slides, um, but if you have a Bible on your phone or whatever, otherwise you could just listen. Um, The reading is from chapter 14 of Mark, and I'm reading from the NIV. So here we go. Now, the Passover and the festival of unleavened bread were only two days away, and the chief priests and the teachers of the law were scheming to arrest Jesus secretly and kill him. But not during the festival, they said, or the people may riot. While he was in Bethany, reclining at the table in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. Leave her alone, said Jesus. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor 
you will always have with you. And you can help them any time you want. But you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. Truly, I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priests to portray Jesus to them. They were delighted to hear this and promised to give him money. So he watched for an opportunity to hand him over. Mark, Mark has a bit of a, a penchant for doing these kind of sandwich constructions. He will, he will have a story that's going on and he'll, sam- he'll suddenly insert another story into the middle of it. So what we, I guess what he's doing there is he's, he's, um, he's showing us um, that he's showing us two contexts, really. So on, on either end of the story, we're given this behind-the-scenes look at an evil plan that's being hatched against Jesus, this plot to kill him. It's a secret plot that's being done in an underhanded way. Um, and I think Mark wants us to, to know in the context of what's happening here at Bethany that for Jesus, his life is in imminent danger. And he, he knows it. The chief priests and the teachers of the law were absolutely committed to killing him. They had already made up their mind at this point that he was got to go. Um, but they didn't want it to happen during the festival because they didn't want any blowback. You know, they didn't want it to look bad about on them. So they were biding their time. And then Judas came and said, I can help out. And I don't know why, um, but it reminds me a little bit of the... You might remember the assassination of Jamal Khashoggi. Um, it was a few years ago. And there's something about the kind of... Maybe it's because of all the CCTV footage and the way that you can sort of witness him going into the embassy with no idea what's, what's about to happen to him and this plot that's being formed against him. But the difference is with this one is that Jesus knew he was walking into trouble. He, he was not a hapless victim. He understood that going to Jerusalem meant, um, meant this kind of confrontation. And in the midst of this, so this mood or this sense of impending violence that's going to happen against Jesus, Mark inserts the story of um, a woman's devotion to Jesus, this powerful story of worship. And this story um, and this account of, of worship that really seemed to touch Jesus in the most profound way. Um, so I'm going to read through the passage again shortly, but I just thought it'd be good to pause perhaps at this point a little bit um, before kind of getting too analytical to think about what our thoughts are, uh, what our initial thoughts were perhaps as I was reading that story, what impressions stood out to you. And like we've been doing throughout this series, perhaps you might want to start by just looking at the questions that are in this passage. So for your memory, um, the first question is, a question from Jesus' friends, a question from the disciples and those who are sitting around at the dinner table. And the question is, why this waste of perfume? And then the second question in the passage is the response from Jesus. Why are you bothering her? So those two questions are the connecting threads for our passage. Why this waste of perfume? Why are you bothering her? 
And this is a dramatic part of the story. It's a dramatic part of the gospel. Um, it's a dramatic scene. People at Simon's house are two days away from this significant festival, this big high point in, in the Jewish calendar of the Passover. So there's probably a sense of excitement and um, maybe a jovial sort of mood, maybe a little bit nationalistic, um, but excitement in the room. But then on the other hand, Jesus knows, perhaps nobody else knows, but Jesus knows that that his, that his this is not going to be a good time for him. Um, and his disciples, those who are closest to him, who are supposed to be closest to him, are supposed to have his back, so to speak, are kind of totally unaware of what's going on for him. And then uh, all of a sudden, this, this unnamed woman interrupts the gathering, coming up to Jesus and breaking this alabaster jar and pouring it over his head. So again, we probably have Luke's version in our mind where, where the woman, um, you know, uh, pours it on Jesus' feet and wipes his, wipes his feet with her hair. But in Mark's version, she comes and just pours it all over his head, right down his whole body, his clothes. He's just covered in this perfume. And Mark notes that the, the perfume itself was made of pure nard. So I did a little bit of Googling and um, figured out what pure nard is. Um, so it's a rare extract of a plant that only grows in the Himalayas. So a very, very long way away from Palestine, this plant that someone's gone and gotten extracted to make this oil that's shipped across the world. So needless to say, a very precious oil. And then with the uh, alabaster jar, that too would have been a precious item. It might have come from Egypt or Syria. I looked into like where alabaster came from in the ancient world. So, um, but it probably came from Italy or maybe Spain, um, which was sort of the center of the alabaster crop. I have a prop. For those um, on Zoom or here, this is an alabaster jar, which is from Italy. A bit of a show-off, aren't they? Um, it's a beautiful, uh, I don't know if you can see, but the light passes through the stone. Um, so, And they've got this sort of waxy quality and a lot of sculpture, a lot of Italian sculptures are made out of it. But it, this one, obviously, you can take the lid off. But the old ones in this story would have been made... Um, so that when you broke them, when, when you, that the perfume was made and then this, the, the jar was sealed so that it couldn't be opened until the point at which it had to be opened and it would be broken open. It's like a piggy bank. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, anyway, the object and its contents were extremely precious. And as her critics pointed out, this thing is worth more than a year's wages. So, uh, you know, an average worker's wages for a year. That, and in this one object. Um, so this act of breaking it open and pouring it over Jesus would have been shocking, I think, for many reasons. And perhaps the first reason we think of is that it's shocking for the, um, the, the financial side of it, perhaps. So pouring out this expensive resource in one go, you know, it's like, uh, it's shocking to see such extravagance, uh, particularly in a culture that's gripped by um, greed or, 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 you know, everything has a, has a cost. And, and so to see such a costly thing being poured out so extravagantly is shocking and even um, confronting. So, uh, yeah, um, and that's where the first criticism erupts against this woman. Why this waste, this, this waste of this perfume? 
this resource, it could have been used for good things, it could have been used to give to the poor, it could have been used for all kinds of things. You've wasted it on Jesus. Um, so it's, that's the first kind of thing that grips the people in the room, this waste of this precious resource. And then the second thing, which I, I think is perhaps not so well known, and it wasn't known to me at least, was that um, it was customary at that time for, for some women to be given an alabaster box like that with perfume in it um, and it was a dowry so it was part of as part of their um, it made them eligible for marriage to have one of these things and the size of the box uh, determined the um, the value or the wealth of their family so it was a very significant and symbolic thing um, and yeah uh, so when he when a young man proposed to a woman in those times uh, the the woman if she had such a thing would would break the alabaster jar at that point and pour it on on the man's feet as a sort of sign of of honor and devotion to her fiance so we see at an even deeper level this act of devotion which which echoed the um, the betrothal customs of the day is what this woman is doing. Now, she's not proposing to Jesus. She's not pouring it on his feet, and he's not, he's not proposing to her. But what she's doing is she's saying, um, all, all, of, uh, all that I have, all my whole future, the measure of all of my desires, my hopes, um, my sense of security in the future for those who will look after me, I am, it's, it's worthy to pour out on you. All of it is worthy of Jesus. Um, she's saying, Jesus, you are worthy of everything I have. So once that alabaster box is broken, it can't be, obviously it can't be put back together, it's used. And once the oil is poured out, it's, it's used. So that moment where she breaks the, the alabaster jar and pours this perfume over Jesus in front of this room full of men, um, she's offering her future her future chances of marriage. She's offering her reputation, what people would say about her. And she's offering her whole heart and her whole being to Jesus in this act of worship, saying nothing compares to you. And in the midst of this incredible moment, the response in the room is um, hostility. This barrage of hostility erupts against her from Jesus' friends. Or as Mark puts it, they rebuked her harshly. A room full of people rebuking this woman after what she's just done. So if you can imagine for a moment what that would have felt like, to be in this room, to be exposed like that, to be offering this act of incredible um, worship and devotion to Jesus, and then to be rebuked by everyone around her. And Jesus' response is, leave her alone. Why are you bothering her? She's done a beautiful thing for me. In other words, why are you rebuking her devotion? Why are you condemning her for choosing me? And then we see Jesus address the kind of hollowness of, of their criticism about the financial cost of the gesture. He says, the poor you will always have with you, and you can help them any time you want, but you will not always have me. In other words, Jesus is saying, look, if you're really concerned about the poor, 
why don't you go and uh, and and give you know give something to them? You can do that anytime you want. You know, are you actually concerned about the poor, or are you just scandalized by this this act of worship, this act of generosity towards God? Because um, the reality is that this this act of worship exposed the the conceit of their worship. It exposed the the hollowness of their worship. They're like, yeah, we can maybe we can marry, uh, manage a little bit of charity here and there, but to to give everything, to give our whole future to Jesus, to pour our life out in worship. That's that's a different story, and I think Jesus' response is. It's just so incisive. It's almost as though he's saying, yeah, you can help the poor, but, but, but will you? And do you not recognize what the bigger picture is? Do you not recognize that this is not about the poor? It's not about social justice. This is about, I'm about to die. <laughs> I'm about to be killed. And this woman has recognized that. And she's understood it. She has seen who I am in this moment of, of loneliness in this room full of people who don't understand. She has understood me. And he honors her for it. That line I love in his, um, where he says, yeah, um, she did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. Um, she did what she could. It's such a confronting line. You know, what does that mean for me? Um, what does that mean for us? She did what she could. I asked myself that question, like, would Jesus say that of me? Would he say that of my life of devotion? You know, it's not, I don't want to navel gaze, but it's a, it's a, I think it's a good question to ask ourselves. Yeah, I guess it's the kind of worship that Jesus is looking for for each of us, or from each of us. It's the kind of worship that is unfazed by the cost, and the kind of worship that loses itself in the fullness of who God is. It's the kind of worship that um, that puts all of our hope in him as our future. So I'm going to read the passage um, one more time in full. And this time, um, just given that we're more familiar with the details of the story, I'm... I'm encourage you to enter into the scene as much as you can with your imagination. Um, so see the faces, the smells, um, ponder the questions, and open your heart to God. And I'll read it. While he was in Bethany, reclining at the table in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. Leave her alone, said Jesus. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, and you can help them any time you want, but you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. 
truly, I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. So as we enter Holy Week, um, I think it's fitting to remember and honour her story, like Jesus did. The story of a woman who gave all of her worship to God. Um, and she gave all of her worship to God at the very point at which she was heading towards the grave. The fact that Jesus interprets her act of worship as an anointing of his body beforehand to prepare for his burial, I think is significant for us ahead of Easter. And it's, it's hard, I guess, for us to grasp the significance sometimes because we're on the other side of the story. We, we know how it ends. Um, but for this woman, she bet everything she had on this man who was about to die. You know, she wasn't sort of throwing her bet on the winning team, so to speak. You know, she put everything into this, this act for this man who was about to die. And the pungence of the, the nard I, I, that she poured over his head that would have gone through his hair, right through his, his clothes and his body. I guess, I don't know, it, it may have been a, a, a lingering fragrance for Jesus throughout that week. It may have been even with him as he was betrayed and as he was um, tried and as he was crucified. He may have smelled, still been able to smell the smell of that, that nard with him, which is a beautiful gift that she gave him, a tangible presence of worship. So as we finish this morning, um, I wanted to offer us a tangible reminder too of what this passage has taught us. So I, I don't have pure nard, couldn't afford it, um, but I do have some, some oil in this jar, some fragrant oil. And um, if you want, I know we're in covid times, but if you want, um, so totally up to you, whatever you feel comfortable with. Um, if you'd like, I can give you a dab of oil, <laughs> um, just on, say, on the top of your hand, um, just to close, and that it might be a sign and a lingering presence of, of, of God, a gesture of being with him in his, in his death and resurrection. Uh, and also a provocation for what a life of worship looks like and feels like. And for those on Zoom, I apologize for not being able to share in this, um, this material moment, but I would offer and suggest that even throughout the week or, you know, find something, find something smelly, <laughs> something that smells good. And... Um, and and find a way to be with it this week, and let it be let it be a companion for you, in the same way. So, maybe you could put on some music for us, Matthew. And um, 